Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby. Hello and welcome to Movies vs. Capitalism, an anti-capitalist movie podcast. I am Frank Capello. And I am Rivka Rivera. So we are recording this on Sunday, October 15th. We are in the midst of the ongoing uh, crisis in Gaza and in Israel right now. And um, we're going to talk about it a little bit. We're not going to talk about every aspect of everything that's been going on because this is not the place to litigate this crisis. Um, but we do want to share how we are feeling, where we are at, and a little bit of our perspectives, because we have to be honest about it. And it, it also would feel disingenuous to not acknowledge everything um, that has been happening so far. So I'm just going to start with myself, and then Rivka will jump in as well. Uh, obviously, this everything that has transpired over the last week, eight days at this point, um, has been absolutely heartbreaking, devastating emotionally draining. I think any of us that care about human life and peace and not seeing people suffer, uh, this this has been a really intense and traumatic uh, experience over the last week or so. But at least where we're at right now, I'm, I'm just going to read uh, something that I had just written recently and had put on my Instagram because it because I was trying to articulate how I was feeling right now in this moment, uh, a week after uh, Hamas's initial attack into Israel against Israeli civilians. So two things are true. Hamas's attack on Israeli civilians is horrific and the single greatest act of violence committed against Jews since the Holocaust, carrying explicit overtones of anti-Semitism and eradication, triggering the historical inherited trauma of Jews around the world, and we must hold space for this. Also, the Israeli government's current siege of Gaza is depriving over 2 million people, half of whom are children, of water, food, electricity, and medicine. The exits out of Gaza have been sealed as Palestinians are bombed by one of the most advanced militaries in the world. This is collective punishment, which is a war crime, and now brings on genocide. And I also urged anyone reading to call their representatives and demand that they call for a ceasefire and an end to the siege in Gaza, like I said, we're not going to go, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20. We're not going to go any years back and discuss how we got here. Other than to say that uh, a lot of what we're seeing is the result of imperialism and occupation. This cycle of violence, especially uh, the Israeli government's retaliation against Hamas and the civilians in, Palestine, in, in Gaza, is not going to solve this gigantic, gigantic problem. Um, if anything, we have seen that violence like this, oppression like this, only breeds more violence in the future. And the only way that we break this cycle is to, at, in, the, in the short term, end this siege, um, and in the long term, end, this, end the occupation. So that's what I have to say at this moment. I'm so grateful for your words. I've been... So I'm going to breathe. I mean, you know I have family in Israel. Luckily, they're all 
safe at the moment to see what's happening, to see how our, how my grief as a Jewish person, how many Jewish people's grief in this moment has been weaponized to justify horrendous actions that I can't imagine any of our ancestors getting behind in Gaza has been so painful. But I guess if, as you mentioned, I mean, in some ways I feel like I feel very privileged to have this platform where we can share things and also useless in this moment, other than to say, as you mentioned, call your Congress people if you're an American citizen and demand a ceasefire immediately. Call multiple times a day. I have found Jewish Voices for Peace to be a really useful, well-organized group right now that when I feel in my body like I'm just frozen in time and space, but in my heart like I want to do something, they've offered things to do. There is going to be a protest in Washington this week. They're asking folks to mobilize and get out to demand that our government stop sending bombs that will kill so many children, take so many lives. Thank you so much for sharing all of that with me and with our audience. I know before we started recording, this is talking about how difficult of a week this has been. And I know I appreciate hearing your words and I'm sure everyone else does as well. So thank you, Rivka. Thank you. Or well, rather than uh, keep expounding upon this and I'm sure <laughs> just starting to ramble and saying things that are unhelpful, <laughs> I think we can go right to our conversation today. Um, we do just want to give a little preface uh, about this conversation about the movie Ants. We recorded this uh, episode over a month ago and it's a very, very, very fun episode that we had with Max Epstein. Um, so if you if you sense the tonal shift in how we are feeling and talking, it is because this was recorded in the past. So there's no mention of anything that's been happening in the last week. Also, a couple of just quick trigger warnings. You know, uh, Rivka and Max are both Jewish. So we, you know, had some fun talking about the Jewishness of the movie Ants. We also got into the Woody Allen stuff. So... I only say that to say if 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 you're not in a place where you're you know ready to have a laugh about identity or you don't want to hear stuff about Woody Allen, then maybe just skip this episode. It'll be here. You can come back to it at any time. Uh, but I just wanted to give that little bit of a you know little bit of a trigger warning preamble before before we go to our conversation. Yeah, that was beautifully said. Yeah. All right. Well, with that being said, we're gonna go to that conversation now. But Real quickly, I just want to <laughs> let you, <laughs> real quickly, we got to do the plugs. Just want to let you know that this podcast is produced by the two of us. We perform all of the necessary labor to make this show happen. And as we're trying to practice our anti-capitalist values, we will not be selling ads on this show. We rely completely on community support to keep the show going. So if you're able to support us, please consider subscribing to our Patreon. For just $5 a month, you get access to our entire back catalog of premium episodes, and you'll be directly supporting this show 
You can also leave us a one-time contribution in our tip jar, and you can find all of those links in the episode description in your podcast player or by going to mvcpod.com. You can also help us out for free by leaving a rating and review for this show on your podcast player. It only takes a few seconds, and it is very helpful in boosting the algorithm and getting this show in front of more people, so we really appreciate it. All right, we're going to take a break, but we'll be right back with our conversation about ants with Max Epstein. We are very excited to be joined by Max Epstein. Max Epstein is a documentary filmmaker and founding employee member of Means TV. He serves as the head of content for the streaming service, where he works with filmmakers big and small to help bring their work to Means TV, as well as help produce all of the original programming you can see on the service. He's also a member of the board of directors for Means TV and was elected by membership body to serve the co-op for a two-year term. Uh, Max, we're so happy to have you on. Will you tell us and our audience a bit about, if, if we don't know, what Means TV is? What does it do and what do you do for it? I have no idea what it is. Okay, well, good. <laughs> this is, my, this is my, uh, my little pitch that I give to most filmmakers that I talk to. Um, so Means TV is the world's first worker-owned streaming service. We're 100% owned by our workers and 100% funded by subscribers, kind of like a lever. Um, we uh, take no VC funding, no advertisements, no extractive financing. We've um, never taken like a loan or anything like that. It's been a rocky road as a result of that, but um, all for the, the greater good. Oh, really? You... Not playing within the capitalist system is is difficult. Yeah, go figure. <laughs> yeah, they, sometimes it really feels like they have it out for us. You know, mm, um, interesting. We've gotten a couple of uh, emails over the years from. Um, overseas uh businessmen and investors who want to like buy the service which every time i'm like do you know what we do like <laughs> well, can are you, you even aware even break down what worker owned means and what it how does it what does it look like for people who this this is a new concept in america right that's very rare so what does it mean what does it look like yeah so it's like it's a it feels like it's a new concept. It has existed for a long time. It's just been out of vogue <laughs> for mm. a while. Mm. Um, but essentially, you know, everyone who works for Means TV or provides any sort of labor to Means TV becomes an an owner in the company. So we have different membership levels. We have three levels. There's employee members, contractor members, and royalty members. Um, employee members are any full-time employees. So we have um, four full-time employees, which is one reason why I'm the only one here and everyone else is currently working because <laughs> everyone wears a lot of hats. Then we have contractor employees. So that's like anybody who works on stuff for Means TV sporadically. So for example, if you're like an editor or a colorist or a sound designer or... or um, you know, a graphic designer or something like that. If you provide a certain amount of work for Means TV, it's like, you know, some amount of hours of labor, then you become a, uh, you get invited to join the co-op as a contractor member. And then lastly, there's royalty members and royalty members are, is basically anyone who creates content for Means TV. So anytime we license a film or a TV show, or we have this thing called independent creators, which is like um, certain like, YouTubers and stuff like that, generally they get invited to join the co-op as a royalty member. So really everyone who has a hand in the service 
owns a part of the service. So, you know, there's at those different levels, a contractor, employee, and royalty, you own a different percentage. It's like employees own the most amount because they kind of provide the most amount of labor and infrastructure for the co-op. Contractor members is the second amount, royalty members is the third. So, you know, it's different percentages and stuff like that, but basically everyone involved is an owner. And as being a part of an owner, you're able to take part, um, you know, take part in the co-op in different ways. So everyone gets to participate in profit sharing. So at the end of the year, any of the extra profits of the co-op get split up accordingly based on those different membership levels. And it's like, it's in the bylaws. It's like super technical and it's not necessarily going in, you know, going uh, worth going into in depth, but it's like, you know, let's say you provide, let's say you make like, you know, six episodes of a 45 minute long TV show, right? Like you provided a lot of content for the service. So the amount of profits that you get at the end is kind of like according to that, or let's say you mm. only make like one little short video, then maybe it's a little bit less. But the idea is it's like everyone who puts work in gets a little bit out. In addition to profit sharing, we also have other membership benefits. So everyone is able to, every member in the co-op is able to vote on the board of directors. So I'm on the board of directors. There's different, in our bylaws, there's basically different um, like representatives in the board of directors. So there's, the board is five people. It's three employee members. And that's because like I said in the beginning, you know, the employee members kind of put the most amount of labor into the co-op. It's one contractor member and one royalty member. So everyone in the co-op gets to vote on all those positions. So cool. even though I am not a royalty member or a contractor member, I'm an employee member, the employee members and uh, the contractor members and royalty members get to vote on my election into the service, into the board directors. Um, and then also there's other sorts of benefits. So everyone gets um, uh, access to the service. We have things like an internal job board where people are able to, um, are basically able to like post different jobs that they have going on and everyone in the co-op has access to that. So we have, uh, we have membership meetings, general meetings. Uh, we get to, we have, um, committees. So for example, there's a content working group committee. So that's like different members of the co-op get together and they talk about like what the content strategy is for the co-op. Um, we have a committee that's just based on technology. We have a seed funding committee where that's a group of members of the co-op who basically use some of the co-op's money to help like fund like early projects and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, so it really is like kind of being a part of like a community, filmmaker community, but just like general community. Um, what's really interesting and what has been like maybe one of the best parts for me is I get to work with like filmmakers all over the spectrum, not just like, you know, America, international, East Coast, West Coast, but just like all different levels of mm. experience. Like I work mm -hmm. with lots of first time filmmakers. I look, you know, like I take a lot of, um, I have friends who like work in more traditional media companies and they talk about, you know, having to put on their Zoom shirts with their ties and stuff like that. I, mm -hmm. I like in the last, this summer alone, I think I've had three like business calls with people who are like taking them from like their vans or like taking them like in the bathroom at work so their <laughs> boss doesn't like catch them or whatever um so we're lots of like first-time filmmakers lots of people who are like veterans of the industry and that's kind of the most amazing thing like everyone really helps each other in the co-op and being a part of the you know membership the co-op is really being a part of like a a collective of people which is great that is so cool Fucking awesome yeah. It's yeah, so man, it's moving great. too because 
I don't know if you heard, but there's like a entertainment strike going on. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I've heard a thing or two about that. <laughs> heard a thing about two about it, and it's just yeah. like you know, some we've talked about a lot of those issues, but you know, this this is just this is the antidote in so many ways. It's an issue of workers not getting to be uh, own their means of production, get paid for their work, and then also just it's moving to hear you talk about how inherently inside the system there's room for newcomers to come in and learn like there's inherent mentorship and that's one of the big issues with the mini rooms that were being introduced and what the WGA is striking for is that that's being cut off as a result of the greed of this capitalist system and so within a cooperative you inherently have these systems for mentorship for people to be able to move up and learn about their craft and not get cut out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's how we like to think of ourselves is like really, you know, uh, especially, I mean, we're only, um, we're about year three in, year three and a half. Wow. And I would say um, that has been really like the main driving force is it's sort of like a proof of concept, right? Especially in that first year, it was like, we wanted to show people that like, yes, you can build an alternative to the traditional studio system, the traditional, uh, you know, distribution system that is sustainable, that is, you know, that can turn a profit. So in the first year of business, that was like one of the main goals is like at the end of the year, we really wanted to make sure that we could, you know, participate in that profit sharing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, because you look at like a a Netflix or a Hulu or Disney or whatever, or any of these companies, Mm -hmm. listen, an Uber, right? Like, it's like all of them basically operate just on pure debt. That yeah. they like, you know, they're like, they're Especially runway. Especially the, the streamers, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, like an HBO or whatever, right? It's like, there's, their their runway for actually being profitable is like, years from now. It's like, maybe mm-hmm. if we wish upon a star, we're going to like, turn a profit this year. We were like, we need to make sure that like, for all our talk at the end of this first year, that we are able to like, deliver something to our wow shareholders who are also like the actual employees of the company that's important i don't think most people know that that like an hb that companies like that are not turning profits and that's part of the whole like grand wall street illusion that's part of again this whole what's happening right now is this just a whole bunch of like bs and lies netflix was operating in the red i think for like like almost a decade i think they only became profitable like a few years ago which is wild like when you Think about the, the the reach and the scope of what Netflix is able to do. And yet um, some people are getting very, very rich off it. You're like, how does how does it work? That yeah, I don't, un- I still don't <laughs> understand that. For all of the reading and podcasts I do on the entertainment industry, I'm yeah. still not sure how those people are making so much goddamn money. Well, yeah, they need Ted Sarandos. Right, need, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's, he's, he's smarter and more talented than everybody. So uh, that's why he listen, that's why I don't he doubt that it. Much. I don't doubt it. As soon as I get started, you know, like David Zaslav, as soon as I uh, get asked to do commencement speeches at Alma Mater's and stuff like that, I'll know I finally made it. <laughs> um, we could spin this into a whole just like entertainment production conversation. And I, I, I'm inclined to do that. I want to ask so many. We may. I think it'll fit might... into the film we're talking about. I actually think this conversation yes. set us up perfectly because we're talking systems of uh, production. We're talking... Um, big evil bad guys so case absolutely case systems classes exploitation <laughs> yeah. oppression so the film we are talking about today i don't would you call it a film it's a it's a movie <laughs> cinema is ants 
1998 animated bug comedy by DreamWorks, directed by <laughs> Eric Darnell and Tim Johnson, written by Todd Alcott, Chris Weitz, and Paul Weitz, starring fucking unbelievably Woody Allen, Sharon Stone, Sylvester Stallone, Jennifer Lopez, Gene Hackman, Christopher Walken, Danny Glover, and Anne Bancroft. Wow. Um, Mrs. Robinson yeah. herself. <laughs> and you know what? It showed. Um, the budget for this movie was $105 million. It grossed $171 million worldwide. So if you've never seen this movie, this is set in a world where ants live in structured conformity and are separated into two classes, workers and soldiers. I think that's also the world we live in. <laughs> like that, It's not a fake world. That is, in fact, the, the world that we... Not yeah. only as humans, but also the ants themselves. Like, that's not, you know... It's not like it's ants in space or whatever. Oh, is that how actual ant colonies work? I don't actually, well, actually I didn't look it's, that up at all. I'm just guessing. I did. I will be our ant specialist <laughs> okay, for the episode because I did, and I will let you know. Thank you. Because for all of the research I did, none of it was into like the biology. <laughs> oh, I got or, like, you. That was the actually actual of ants. That was the ant hole I fell into. But I'm. Oh, interesting. There you go. So the movie follows an ant named Z, voiced by Woody Allen, an introspective worker ant who dreams of life beyond his predetermined societal role. His world is turned upside down when he falls for the colony's princess, Bala, uh, voiced by Sharon Stone. Z then pretends to be a soldier to get closer to Bala, but inadvertently becomes an enemy of the state when he kidnaps her. Concurrently, the ambitious General Mandible, voiced by Gene Hackman, implements his plan to eliminate all of the worker ants, and Z and Bala must work together along with the rest of the ants to save the colony from General Mandible. Just so you know, for the rest of this, I will only refer to the ants by the actor's name. In my, I took like notes about the I film, and I was good. like, Woody Allen ant, Stallone ant, Gene Hackman ant. <laughs> I think that's perfectly acceptable. Okay, cool. I'm not gonna say Weaver and Azteca over and over <laughs> right, again. Exactly. <laughs> Some historical context for this movie. Released on October 2nd, 1998. So uh, we did Titanic, which was 97. This came out right after Titanic. I feel like we're really hitting uh, all these films that made made us. This film is really a reaction to Titanic, if anything. <laughs> well, Easily. we'll talk about it. Bill Clinton is, of course, president. The United States Department of Justice and 20 U.S. states filed an antitrust case against Microsoft, alleging that the company had a monopoly on the software market. The first MP3 player was released in Japan. Whoa. The TV sitcom Sex and the City premiered, and the final two-part episode of Seinfeld aired to 76.3 million viewers. Wow. wow. Smoking Different cigarettes. Time. Banned in all California bars and restaurants. The FDA approves Viagra, the first ever erectile dysfunction pill. And that comes up in this movie a lot, I would say. It, no question. <laughs> really, this movie really is, does. is horned up. Unfortunately. This, unfortunately. this is not a kid's movie. No, no, not at all. And last but not least, the minimum wage was $5.15, and the median household income was $38,568. So, Max, <laughs> we start off with asking our guest, why did you choose this movie for us to watch? Okay, so what we didn't mention in the bio is this movie comes out in October, and I feel like mm -hmm. this has a lot to do with kind of just, this, like, this fact has to do with this movie in totality. But this movie mm -hmm. comes out in October. Two months later, A Bug's Life comes out. 
Um, so mm-hmm. this movie is a DreamWorks movie. I think it's it's the first DreamWorks computer generated animated movie, right? The second yeah, yeah. animated it's the fir- movie. Yeah, second computer animated movie after Toy Story. Right, second movie ever, and the second animated movie by DreamWorks. I think the first one was Prince of Egypt, which mm-hmm. there are similarities. Okay. I'll go into that. I'll go into that in a little bit um, <laughs> between Ants and Prince of Egypt. So so this movie comes out and. At the same time, or you know, two months later, A Bug's Life comes out. From Pixar. From Pixar, right. And needless to say, there are some similarities. They're both about ants. They're both about <laughs> ants who don't fit into their colony, who are sort of, you know, disaffected workers who go through like a hero's journey and, you know, change their colonies. And... um I didn't like know, I did some research in preparation for this just about like what the hell that was all about. But, um, you know, the real reason why I picked this movie was because growing up, I kind of always was under the impression there were like two types of families. There were Bugs Life families and there were Ants families. And I was definitely an (laughs) Ants family. I love that. Um, I think I was an Ants family too. Definitely, I remember. I remember Ants so well. You like mm. Bugs? See, I I definitely saw Bugs Life. I definitely was. You know, I wish I was in the theater now. for that. Yeah, now I do wish I was a Bugs Life family. <laughs> definitely, but Ants, um, Ants for me was always like the number one. One interesting thing I just noticed watching Ants now, um, and watching Ants, doing a little bit of research and like seeing some clips from Bugs Life, which I also haven't seen in years, is um, Ants is incredibly ugly like Mm -hmm. the character design is disgusting i would say the ants are difficult (laughs) to look at at moments (laughs) like it looks like ps1 graphics you know it's like hard angles hard shadows it It was disc like the eyes are like gross and the teeth the human teeth they just have these human false oh It's like someone was like, what if we merged an ant face with a human face and made it absolutely (laughs) disgusting to look at? Yes, absolutely. There's nothing charming or like Pixar-y about this movie. It feels, yeah, it's it's gross. It's actually really gross. (laughs) Uh, But outside of that, I would say like, you know, one of the big differences between ants and Bugs Life and, you know, Feel free to push back on this if you feel differently. But I always thought that Ants was was Bugs Life, but Jewish. That like interesting Bugs okay. Life was this this one thing, and then Ants was like that, but Jewish. And maybe and maybe that's because well, of Woody it certainly Allen. makes sense that you and I. I'm guessing you're Jewish, Max. That you and I are like yes, we were Ants. Good guess. And Frank was oh, like, wow. I'm- so maybe your theory and i was and i was a i was a good roman catholic and they only yeah, let us I didn't watch wanna, i didn't want to you know i didn't want to be too explicit but yes that's basically how that's I felt what happened there wow. <laughs> that you had to like support your own kind listen at the end of the day it's like what so uh dreamworks ants that's jeffrey katzenberg and mm-hmm. um and uh pixar and bugs life is michael eisner mm-hmm. they're both jewish right at the end yeah. of the day, the, yeah, there, yeah. there's Jews on both sides of this, but I, there's something about ants that just feels very Jewish coded. I mean, it starts with the man on his psychiatrist's office, like yeah, hello. Literally. I mean, I'm I'm so down to talk <laughs> about that too, Max. I don't know if you were going to get to this as well, but the 
what I think is really interesting about just that competition and part of the reason that I think they ended up the way they did was apparent like from what my research was like the drama the tea was that Jeffrey Katzenberg was because he was part a big part of like uh, Toy Story and just this idea of like the beginnings of like let's make all kids. the 90s Disney movies so it's like yes. you know uh, Aladdin um, Little Mermaid Lion King those are all like Jeffrey Katzenberg movies and I guess he was he okay. thought he was going to become the CEO of Disney and they like ousted him at the last minute. Like he right. shepherded in all these like successes and they ousted him and he went started DreamWorks animation as sort of a FU to Disney. Yeah, mm-hmm. with with Spielberg. Right. Spielberg and David Geffen. DreamWorks SKG. Yeah. And so I just think that's like interesting at the core of this like this capitalist rivalry. We got these two two films competing and yeah i don't know we're we're gonna dig into whether this was the ants movie of our dreams or did this capitalist rivalry is or this nightmares. to blame for the yeah or our nightmares for the teeth in smashed the human teeth mashed inside of a giant bug's head <laughs> well that i mean that's that is part of it right it's that um so these movies are incredibly similar to the point where like you know so steve jobs is one of the um heads and founders of pixar where he there's like something i read online where he like called up jeffrey katzberg and basically like told him off over the full phone was like you can't make this movie and blah blah blah. john lasseter who's you know the head of former head of pixar who directed um directed a bug's life and was like i guess really good friends with jeffrey katzberg he has some quote where he was like if dreamworks had made any other movie I would have, you know, basically made everyone in Pixar take the day off and go and see it. But the fact that they made a movie that was so similar to our movie, you know, I forbid anyone from the company to actually see it. So it's a, it's a bit of this. Rivalry. Wait, this is the movie. Yes. This is the movie. It Max. is literally. We have to make this movie. That's the movie I want to see. Like Bugs Life versus Ants. Like the behind the scenes rivalry. No question. No make question. the teeth bigger. Like what? What? <laughs> Well, yeah, so they that's what they did, right? So they were, a, a, like, a, um, and I don't have it in front of me, so if anyone like, looks this up later, please just keep it to yourself. But it's, like, <laughs> something like Ants was supposed to come out in June or March, and Bugs Life was supposed to come out in February. But they're basically created this, like, you know, this huge rivalry where they knew they were kind of at each other's throats. So Jeffrey Katzenberg, like, added like 20 million to the budget to try and get it to come out two months before bug's life oh this is so good we gotta kill this fucking other bug movie (laughs) we gotta kill it that it's that's also so like ironic in retrospect because both of the because both of those movies bug's life and ants have like pretty deeply anti-capitalist messages baked into them so the fact that like there was such bitter competition in the actual production and distribution of these movies is just it's just like that's you couldn't like you couldn't write that so we have to write that yeah because it's like anyone is willing to capitalize on anti-capitalism yes but as soon as it actually you know as soon as the rubber hits the road or as soon as you peel back the curtain or whatever you can kind of see where their true alliances sure are i'm also i'm also assuming that katzenberg and steve jobs you know, were did not pick up on or were not interested in the anti-capitalist messages of those films. They were just like, yeah, 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 whatever, sure, it's a bug movie, go ahead. I'm guessing we'll get to that eventually, but, like, there are some 
you know, big like ding, 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 dings in this movie that are like very explicitly mm -hmm. anti-capitalist or Marxist yes. or whatever. And um, my understanding is Bugs Life is is less is less that like, yeah, it's about workers being pissed off and trying to, you know, fight against these systems that they're in. But I think Ants is a little more a little more radical. It has more it has more teeth. Um, liter yeah, no literally kidding. and and figuratively. <laughs> yes. Yeah. My my big takeaway. I haven't seen this movie because I was a Bugs Life family. I haven't seen this movie <laughs> in like fifteen plus years, and I was blown away. My overall big note is this is a Marxist kids movie that is not for kids. This is <laughs> there is a lot of adult humor, and not even like the yes. kind of like you know uh, double entendre adult humor where you know it's like the the adults Which will there get was. it. Which there was, yeah. but then you also have moments where, you know, Woody Allen straight up just says, like, I was going to allow you to be part of my most erotic fantasies. And it's like, Which... that is not, that is not a, like a kid's joke. Or something that should ever come out of that man's mouth again. So sure. I read online that that line was in the movie. I watched it twice and I actually didn't find that line, but that line is from another Woody Allen movie. Of course uh, it is. So the reason why that, and he, apparently he, he got like an uncredited writing credit or he was supposed to get a writing credit because they used that line because it's from another Woody Allen movie. So he basically like rewrote the character in his own voice, I guess. Interesting. Um, which is okay. that, that specific line. I'm, it's funny that you brought that one up because there's a lot of other ones that are like horned up again. Like <laughs> it's, a, it's a very horny movie. Yes, 100%. So Rivka mentioned this before, but you know, the movie opens with, Woody Allen, who's, you know, his character's name is Z, you know, in this like, kind of like classic Woody Allen opening monologue, kind of like a la Annie Hall or something like that, where he's like sitting on the, the analyst's chair, you know, being like, don't get me started on my job. I wasn't cut out to be a worker. The whole system makes me feel so in insignificant. And it really was like pulled from some you know 70s woody allen movie although I'm, i am i was glad to see that the ants have access to mental health services i actually wrote you know do they have access to like is this free is there like a, do they have to pay out of pocket at all sure. is this like just that? really like reprogramming like masked up as as Which a therapist it kind of was but a that's, little bit that's okay and not to well not i'm not gonna even apologize for this because i'm gonna talk about it a lot but going back to the jewish thing yeah. All the other ants are, like, tall and chiseled and, like, you know, look completely different yeah. than Woody Allen's ant. Like, they made Woody Allen's ant, like, look like, you know, a stereotype, basically. Like, he's, like, short and swollen. <laughs> it's, like, totally... It's it's a little it it's giving anti-Semitism vibes. It is. And, and not, not... It's interesting because I was trying to figure out, I'm like, what is this? What is this? the makeup of because there's a very also latino like i was like oh are these my jewish mm -hmm. latinos like in this yeah in this because there's you're like what is the vibe of this track <laughs> i can't quite figure it out because he is clearly like the only jewish undertone care like there's no one else i guess his you best could... friend is is jennifer lopez right who put but like then the names azteca princess bala like interesting what they were what they were going for but then stallone is weaver you know and then it's... and eventually we'll get to um Danny Glover's character, Danny Glover aunt, who is Barbados, which was Barbados, yeah, Barbados, yeah. There, there is some. They didn't go too deep with the names. Let's just say that. 
No, this is still still very much the 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 point in movie history. It was like, oh, Jennifer Lopez is making is playing this woman, this Anne. Let's name her. I don't know, Azteca something. Yeah, it was like J.K. Rowling came up with the names. But yeah. then the music, like <laughs> then when they go to the bar and they're they have like the dance scene, they have this. I thought it was like so great. I was like, I think yes. this song slaps the like slow down Guantanamera. I was like. What is this beat? I literally like, wrote that exact so thing. Good. I wrote, this song is <laughs> sick. Okay, music note on production. So apparently apparently Hans Zimmer was supposed to do the music for this movie. Uh, and he also did the music for a pr- uh, Prince of Egypt, the other DreamWorks movie that came out like mm-hmm. a year before. And he was like too busy with Prince of Egypt to do Ants. So they wound up just like farming it off to some other random person. Um, oh. But when I heard that song, it was like, no, if this was a Hans, Hans Zimmer, like, number, like, that would have been sick. I mean, it was still good. But <laughs> I yeah. love, no, but I don't know if Hans would have gone in that direction. That felt very, like, who made the, who was, like, we're going to play Guantanamera, but, like, slow down. <laughs> like, I got the, I think it was supposed to be, ba- I think it was supposed to be, like, they don't, they just do everything in line with one another and they don't know how to find. I was like, I like this beat. I'm down with this, huh? with the ant, group ant dancing. I know you were going to get to the politics of this, Frank. Which, I mean, the we're talking all about politics, but like specifically <laughs> the very specific. But I just want to say before we move further, because I just got to get it out of my system. It just, the whole thing of like watching it now and being like, I, I just can't watch Woody Allen things anymore without wanting to puke the whole oh, time. Oh, sure. And then particularly yes. in the context of that it's a child's movie that is extremely horny is like absolutely <laughs> fucking disgusting. Like the whole time I'm like, this yeah. is so gross. And um, so just going to say it, going to put it out there. Still had lines. That, I mean, there's still things to appreciate, but it's like. Bleh. I tried to like pick up on anything that could be like, oh, yeah, this is a parallel to Woody Allen's actual life. And he's obsessed with, you know, like young <laughs> ants or whatever. I will admit I was not able to draw any of those conclusions I from it. Oh, I but I did one. try. I think the I mean, just like the general when you watch his and I'm not making I mean, this point has been made, but a lot of like mm-hmm. the characters he plays and the stories he plays, it's like, I'm just what a oh little old innocent me, I'm disgusting. You wouldn't wanna I'm harmless. <laughs> I'm harmless. And yet he the way he goes after Princess Bala and like when he is not harmless you know what i mean he has a lot of actually kind of like under he kidnaps her he yeah he kidnaps her (laughs) and he just his approach is there's something very um predatory about his approach in all his kid and it's always masked by i couldn't do my just a little insignificant yeah like who me no i would never Mm -hmm. come on (laughs) yeah so I, i guess that was like for me i was like oh this is kind of and just the fact that you're like oh me saying sexualized things in a kid's movie what's the problem i'm like the problem is you're a fucking predator literally yes and this is also wait uh this is like kind of in the heat of the woody allen drama right like this is i think so it's I don't know definitely if it's, like I don't know if accusations have come out yet. I don't want to speak out of turn, but I feel like this is around the time where people kind of were talking about it, they knew about it, but no one was actually trying to hold him accountable in any way. It kind of like similar Honestly, similar to Harvey Weinstein like where it was like it's like, "Oh, we all know that Harvey Weinstein is an absolute fucking mm. monster and a rapist, but like, we you know, we don't really we talk about it at parties, but other than that, we don't do anything about it." I feel like yeah, that's Yeah, this is where... when they were actively ignoring it. Yeah. Like Gross. I fucking hate it here. That makes me so angry. But now that, okay, we've said that, 
that's there. Now back to the class politics. <laughs> Which it's not separate from. Which is, it's not separate from. It's all linked. It's all intersectional. So when we're introduced to this colony, we, like we said, it's it's workers or soldiers. No, None of the ants have a choice in what caste they're going to be put into. There's a great scene where, like, the queen is giving birth to a bunch of, like, larva ants, and they're just, like handing them to one and there's like worker soldier and they just put like either a pickaxe or a soldier's helmet I, like so like when we meet z he describes his the rest of his ants as mindless zombies capitulating to an oppressive system when we meet his best friend azteca she says i love my work and you think too much so like just real they lay it on really really thick that like this is like a an exploited class that has no choice in how uh in their class position or how they are exploited um, and then we also learn that they're the soldiers. So his best friend is uh, Sylvester Stallone, who's Weaver. He's one of the soldiers. But yeah, it's really, it's, this is like a story of, I don't know, like communist revolution, of socialist revolution, of of class consciousness. Um, I was really, I was really blown away by the movie's politics. There there were a couple, couple things here and there that I like quibbled with, mainly on its like themes of like individualism and how it's saying like, oh, individualism is so good, but we can, strong. we'll get into I that. I feel like but... it actually hit you over the head with the individualism a little bit. Definitely. Which is also, yes, you're right. However, I would say Bugs Life, it's like that 10x. Like it's <laughs> much more about like, oh, the answer to all of this is individualism as opposed to, and not to give away the, not to, Give away the ending of Ants. No, no, no. It's it, They pressed play on the podcast. Spoilers. They, yeah. yeah. Good. I do think, at least at the very least, the moral of of Ants is just kind of like, well, it's not all about individualism. That you do kind of need to, like, you know, link arms and become the wrecking ball or whatever. They do. There is that collectivist moment at the end um, where, like, the ants, <laughs> where all of the worker ants are about to drown, and then they, they come together to build this giant ladder. Um, I guess I just wanted, like, it's you can't do it in a kid's movie like this, but I, I guess I just wanted one ant to be like, individualism is good as so far as we are all individuals and we respect like each other's existence as individuals, but we are all part of a greater collective and we must Mm -hmm. work together at times while still honoring like your individual aspirations and goals and lives and priorities, but still taking into account like the larger societal uh, responsibility that we have to one another. Like no one was going to say that. So I guess. No, I was just going to say this is my end to just pull out my science notes because The thing is, what you just (laughs) said is a lot closer to the scientific truth. And, like, when you see ants, like, you don't, like, sometimes we'll see them and they're, like, ants go marching and they're all in line. But often when you see ants, they're, like, totally, you're seeing Princess Bala and Z, like, you know, you see you see ants off on their own and you're like, what is this little ant doing all the way over here all all by himself (laughs) or... Actually, herself, because, again, another thing they got wrong. Most ants are women, okay? The men die off after, like, the men are actually in these societies to help reproduction. Most of the worker ants are women who can't give birth and obviously the queen. So, like, again, a missed opportunity here. This should be a matriarchy. I don't know what all these men are doing in this movie. Damn. They wouldn't be there. It's not scientifically accurate. So real male ants are just, like, they're there, they, they're, they're fucking, and then they die. That's it? As they should. Yeah. Yep. Sound, they sounds should. like a dream. And okay, so and the other thing is like a lot of ants they the organization which is inherent and which is there is like pretty incredible the way it, there is no fucking leader. Like no there is no military man telling people what to do. There's obviously that was the human part of it, but there is no leader. It's total collectivism. It's it's astounding 
they get information collectively about what they should do based on environment and like what is best for the collective and they get that through scent i'm gonna butcher like all the details here but essentially like they'll be able to go around smell a little smell their friend know what that person's job is based on scent and those the scent stuff has relationship to environment so we'll change but they're not they're not just they there is a lot of individualism within these colonies which is why you won't always ants are not always together you see them off on their own little adventures so that's my other thing is i think it's totally valid the science supports what you're saying frank that like that this is wrong they're doing the ants wrong there that they have their individual existences but also are part of a greater organism Yes. Essentially. Right. As it should and be. And I think when um Jennifer Lopez aunt <laughs> Azteca, I think when they introduce her character and you know, uh Woody Allen is like kvetching to her about whatever, she says something like, you know, after all, it's not about you, it's about us. Like mm-hmm. she does, you know, and it kind of, it, it's giving some Bernie Sanders a little bit there. Well, you know who I loved in that moment was Cutter, Cutter Ant, or I guess that would be um, Christopher Walken Ant. Christopher Walken Ant, <laughs> I thought had the best turn in that regard, because Christopher Walken Ant at the end, so Christopher Walken Ant is like the second second in command to the really evil general, and he's just taking orders. To Gene Hackman Ant. General Hackman. <laughs> and um but he has this turn at the end where he's gonna like you know he he's the one who's gonna like cut z down what is z is like hanging off of something is about to go they honestly should have just let z go <laughs> in retrospect there's yeah. a lot of death in this movie it would have been out of pocket like it's a, it's a violent. pretty violent movie well and another yeah. thing that ants do ants will sacrifice themselves for the full for the colony like they'll make that choice to sacrifice themselves ants are so cool so z's about yeah, to die yeah. and and cutter's big turn is like he's like i'm doing this for the colony and he's like don't you see we are the colony and then he has a turn and he really, he basically doesn't end up, he's like, oh yeah, we are the colony. Like he's the one who has that realization that like the colony isn't a single person, the colony is. Give me, give me a hand. See, you let go. Don't you understand? It's for the good of the colony. What, what are you saying? We are the colony. Cutter, what are you doing? Something I should have done. A long time ago. This is for the good of the colony, sir. You mentioned uh, Sylvester Stallone Ant. I would say that was Uncanny Valley and how they made him look. Like, they made that ant look like Sylvester Stallone. Like, <laughs> it was... It was it was crazy. Like, they put mm-hmm. all of that, that, whatever you said in the beginning, $140 million. I would say at least a third <laughs> of that went into, like, making sure that ant looked like Sylvester Stallone. And he was damn handsome. And this was before mocap. This was, like... I was going to oh, say, yeah. I kind of want a live-action ants. I think there should be, like, live-action ants, ants the musical. Like, let's just full-on... Ants the musical, I would love that. And get them all at the ages that they currently are at to play them. <laughs> Roll it back. Although no Woody Allen. No Woody Allen. Yeah, who would they, if they were going to recast, who would they recast that character wow. as? That's a good as question. Z? As Z. Yeah, who's like a young Woody Allen? 
Timothy Chalamet. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> they would, though. They fucking would. No one is would. pitching themselves as a young Woody Allen anymore. Okay, you know some agent is pitching their client as a young Woody Allen. Like, don't oh even, you know that, like, someone is in a room doing that. And then that, their younger yeah. assistant is like, hey, Mark, you really shouldn't be pitching John like that anymore. You're furiously so like, texting them, like, like, stop saying that, stop, yeah. stop. They don't care. Like, he's, again, he's never, like, he's fine. Like, that's what's so annoying. The, the, I mean, one of, like, the big and, like, very drastic differences between this and A Bug's Life and why I think this one has more teeth to it is, like, in A Bug's Life, the grasshoppers are essentially the stand-in for the ruling class. They are, you know, they're they're taking the surplus value that the ants are creating there. That's a ve- It's a very simple, like, the ants pick all of the food and the grasshoppers take all of the food. In this one, it's just ants and General Mandible, Gene Hackman ant, is a fascist. Like, this is, like, there's mm. no two ways around it. He is doing fascism. Like, the right. whole climax is built around ethnic cleansing. He is like, I'm going to kill all of the worker ants because I think that they are weak. I'm also going to kill a bunch of the soldier ants who I think uh, are loyal to the queen. So he's also doing a coup in the middle of all of this, um, which I was like, I was blown. Again, this is not a kid's movie. At some point, he sends all of the soldier ants to uh, a battle against the termites, which is very violent. It is like Horrible. a violent war scene. And like there's, the termites are spitting up acid all over the ants. The ants are like fucking melting. They're like stabbing one another. It, it was, yeah. I was really taken aback by like how far this movie was willing to push it on the villain front in like straight up like we're doing a genocide here. So it's, you know, it's all of the, so for anyone who hasn't seen the movie, basically Woody Allen's aunt meets the, Sharon Stone princess aunt like at a bar where Sharon Stone is like the princess and she basically is like hey what if we like pretend to be poor for a night and like they go to the bar and like we're gonna <laughs> pretend to be poor and like you know mingle very with titanic actually, very titanic titanic exactly I literally mm-hmm. wrote that down yeah it's very titanic it was yeah so you know he he meets her at the bar and then she kind of has her like you know leaves her glass slipper or whatever and he has to you know he's like i need to go see this this girl again again very horned up so he convinces sylvester stallone aunt to switch places with him sylvester stallone is a soldier woody allen is a worker he's like hey what if you like what if i pretend to be a soldier and you pretend to be a worker because he hears that there's going to be this big like you know uh, soldier parade where all the soldiers are going to get to like see the queen or whatever and Sylvester Stallone to the horned up thing he's basically like okay I'll help you but like only if you introduce me to some like girl ants that I can like you know sleep with he's like are there any cute girls that I can meet or yeah whatever? the worker girls yeah <laughs> yeah I hear they're a lot better or whatever so uh no but those are career ant girls that's what he says they are yeah it's a nine it's a nine <laughs> to five basically um so all the uh so all the soldiers line up like stormtroopers very nazi like you know mm-hmm. and and like frank said before it's like general gene hackman ant, who's like the leader of the army or whatever is like you know giving this like heil hitler speech so in the line as they're about to get like marched out to this termite like you know brutal war bloodbath literally i actually wrote down that it like when it goes into that war scene it was like very much saving private ryan wow all of a sudden it's just like boom 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 like it's like horrible bloody thing and um and in the you know when they're all lined up woody allen like basically befriends one of the other soldiers who's um danny glover is like an old weathered soldier ant and danny glover's character 
incredibly once again incredibly disgusting to look at like horrible sunken cheekbones <laughs> like it was it was difficult to look at there's like this horrible bloody bath and this was some, this was part actually like, stuck with me through childhood and when i oh. watched it i like had like a visceral reaction is during this like termite battle danny glover gets like beheaded in like a horrible way and then like woody allen like picks up his dismembered head and woody and danny glover like he's like says these final words to him and it was uh it's it's so traumatic i mean it's really horrible it's just his head yeah it's wild and already and like i said the, the character design is already disgusting so seeing the head dismembered from the body is just like tenfold worse it's so bad they really missed out on the opportunity to have danny glover ants head to say i'm getting too old for this shit oh <laughs> man absolutely that that would have been like why didn't like it was sitting right there for him and and we should say this is a good point to say that danny glover you know workers rights king like danny yeah. glover you know long-standing unionist long-standing like fighting on the right side of history or whatever and um i would say one not that I had any in the old minutes movie, but one regret <laughs> is that they didn't give him a little bit more screen sure. time, or you know, because he's one of my favorite characters. Yeah, absolutely. Even though they gave him like a sort of racist name, it's was still a great character. So I, I did a little research into the screenwriters specifically because I was like, one of someone here has read Marx because like there are, and I'm going to play a clip in a minute that will prove that or at least demonstrate it. But um, so it was Todd Alcott, Chris Weitz, and Paul Weitz. Um, wasn't a ton about Todd Alcott. Chris Weitz and Paul Weitz went on to like direct the American Pie movies. So like, I don't think it was those Another guys. Another horny movie. Yeah. <laughs> Another very, they, 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 they're responsible for the horniness for sure. <laughs> no question. But then tr digging into Todd Alcott, who doesn't have as as big of a screenwriting career. He's also like a comic book writer and like an indie music enthusiast and an artist. So I have to assume he just has like more of a grungier vibe. So I have to assume and I'm going to just like ascribe like the, <laughs> the, the the class analysis to him. So I would love to, if anyone knows more about Todd Alcott, please let us know. Mm -hmm. uh, would love to get him on the pod. But there's this amazing moment in the middle of the movie. So like Z has kidnapped Princess Bala. He like is the only person who comes back from the, the, the termite war. So like now he's become like essentially an ant folk hero and all the ants are like, have you heard about this guy named Z? He was a worker, then he became a soldier. I didn't know that you could do that. We didn't know that, we, we thought we had to work. <laughs> Talking about Z? Hey, I know the guy, he's a friend of mine. I think your information is you just a little- Z? Yeah, he's a worker, he used to dig around here. A worker? That's impossible. A worker can't do anything except work. Yeah, it's not like we got a choice. We do have a choice. Uh, I mean, look at Z. He decided he wanted something and he went for it. He's not alone. I used to be a soldier and I switched places with him. Wait a second. You're telling me I don't have to be here? We got a choice? The authorities don't want you to know about it, but we don't have to work on the tunnel anymore. It's the workers who control the means of production. Hey, Z don't dig, I don't dig. People, what is this, an encounter group? Let's get back to work. Why? I did write this down. So you said the folk hero thing, and then kind of with the help of Stallone and J-Lo, inspires like this like worker uprising, where mm -hmm. I made a note of this, 42 minutes in, ding, 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 one of the ants goes, it's the workers who control the means of production. Yeah. Yes. So it it is said, and it that's, that's basically as explicit as you can get for politics.
Yeah, and it's like it's it's innocuous enough of a phrase where I'm sure like a studio exec would have read that and been like, huh, I don't even know what that means. Okay, on to the next. Uh... <laughs> like, sure, no notes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like that is socialist ideology. That is, uh, like, yeah, the workers should should own and control the means of production like you guys do over at Means TV. Yeah, there hey. you go. So I was I was like thrilled to hear that jammed into this movie. Totally. Yeah, I wish there had been a little, I mean, you know, again, in our cut of it, and we've seen it come, like Newsies, a Disney movie, does, has, I would say, stronger politics than this in terms of just like how the politics are entwined with the story. And like, I wanted to sure. know what it meant for those. I wanted the, I really wanted the ants. I thought the ants were going to have like a little bit of a bigger uprising and it, and it really spends a lot more time with Z and I think that it was interesting watching I was like I could totally see watching this movie and thinking this is like anti-communist propaganda like I could like that was very strong and it was almost felt like oh I could see it the going the opposite way particularly because of how how so much because of Z's storyline and Z is just like going on about wanting to be an individual and I think they do to a certain extent if you don't understand the nuance and the difference between like just that this is not commun you know that this is what America paints communism as like it is not what it is but this is the fear what's nice though about the Z character just to compare it to Bugs Life <laughs> and um I think the counterpart character in Bugs Life is like Flick or something like that it is it is Flick yeah it's like you know Z there is like that character does the hero's journey and has a change. Where in the beginning, he's, like, very self-centered, and then by the end, like we said before, he's, like, you know, throwing his body on the line, basically, to, like, save the colony. While in Bug's Life, it's, like, the movie opens with him basically being, like, I'm an individual, and then the end of the movie is, like, everyone adopts his individualism. That, like, the end of the movie, mm. you know, in the beginning of Bug's Life, it's, like, yeah, I have all the answers, and no one believes me, and at the end of it, they do believe him. So it's actually less about the character changing and more about like the society just like finally accepting him for who he is, which is like... But then again, his last line, Z's last line is, I finally found my place, but the difference is this time I chose it. it like that could uh... literally be like a American propaganda. You know, I could just see it going either way yeah. of like in this, you know, capitalism, you have choices. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. Just like by, you know, inherently by it being this, like, we already talked totally. about it, like this, like, <laughs> money grab, like, you know, there is these two different major, you know, the basically the biggest media companies in the world at the time competing over what is essentially the same IP. It is propaganda <laughs> just by, like, <laughs> the nature of what it is. Mm -hmm. uh, so we can only, we can only expect it to go so far. True. But, Riv, I think that's such a, like, an interesting point and something we see often in stories like this where, like, because it could be read as anti-communist. And there is actually like some writing out there. There's writing out there about how Bugs Life and Ants are like our Marxist propaganda. And then there's also people being like, no, this is actually anti-communist propaganda. Um, mm -hmm. I found one article. It's about a Bugs Life, but it's a 2022 article by Emmanuel Rincon published by the Foundation for Economic Education. So you know that mm -hmm. they teach good things. Sounds CIA. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but his, <laughs> his piece is called How a Bug's Life Revealed the Immorality of Socialism. So I think this is something that happens often when anyone, especially like Americans, see anything that represents, see anything that uh, is demonstrative of authoritarianism. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, that's communism. They're talking about communism. 
which is just like wrong because like authoritarianism is a totally different authoritarianism happens within capitalist countries within capitalist uh, governments it doesn't help i think what frustrates me now that i am an ant scholar and scientist i might as well have my phd what frustrates me i think is that ants are the most fucking like they do communism you know what i mean like they do it right but just like the <laughs> fact that they're using ants to suggest that there was this authoritarian system but like they are actually communists is like i was kind of like oh that's smart honestly like parts of i was like oh that looks like a a bad version of communal living which is what <laughs> anti-communist propaganda is so i just think like it's easy to see it like that i would definitely be reluctant to ascribe too much good politics i'm using scare quotes people probably don't see that though (laughs) like you know i would be reluctant to like say that the creators of ants were being virtuous in their telling of this story that's not to say that they were like trying to create anti-communist propaganda but um you know one kind of like interesting thing at the end of the movie is like they don't really offer an alternative uh, they don't no. really like say like what that's like, you know, we see all this trouble and it's like, we're going to rebuild society, but they don't really tell us like what a society rebuilt in their politics or their values actually. Means. Which is funny because the ants could tell you exactly what that means. Protection of community, right. resource sharing, division of labor, like they got it down. So just to finish my um, ants being Jewish thing. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I'm, cu- I'm, I'm curious, like, is there any like you might be about to say it, but is, beyond Woody Allen, were there any yes. other like Jewish signifiers in the film for you? Hundred yeah. percent. Um, so Woody Allen, like earlier in the movie in the bar scene that we talked about, some like drunkard comes up to him <laughs> and basically starts like ranting about this like promised land, uh, Insectopia, <laughs> where all the ants. Yeah, right. All the ants. Yeah, they really. They really paid those writers a lot for that one. Uh, you know, where all the bugs can live free and there's all this like land of milk and honey kind of stuff. Later in the film, they go to what they think is Insectopia. And this is not Jewish, but I don't know if you noticed that that fake Insectopia that they find is like filled with product placement where there is yeah. like there's like a big Pepsi can and Mountain Dew and oh, Slice. Sure. At the, pic- just, at the picnic, right? At the picnic, yes. And, Not Jewish, and, just uh, capitalism. And a jar of, well, there are <laughs> kosher pickles. And I did write down, I wrote oh, B&D oh. kosher pickles in parentheses Jewish. I wrote that down <laughs> in my notes. Um, but what they did, but what is, I think, even more heavy-handed is they run into wasps. Wasps yes, as in yes. white Anglo yes. sex and Protestants, right? And uh, they run into these wasps played by Dan Aykroyd and Jane Curtin which are which is great and they're like basically they basically play those characters as like the waspiest wasps you've ever seen like they're like you know they have these like pointed little noses and they're like very uptight and whatever their names are muffy and chippy which is pretty (laughs) not jewish at least and uh that i thought was very uh was very jewish coded that like you know it's like these wasps are like looking down on the ants you know that they like have they can't take care of themselves or whatever they need like help from some you know service or whatever that's a really good point and i'm so embarrassed to admit that like i did not realize they were doing a wasp wasp joke (laughs) i like this is dawning on me right now as you're saying this and you know what that's pretty (laughs) that one always stuck out for me and another joke that i wrote down that was like i just this joke is ingrained in my head as a child is there's like they're sitting they finally find the real insectopia and they're like sitting around this fire with all these like 
bugs that are kind of like stoners or something. Mm-hmm. Like they all have like yeah. droopy red eyes or whatever. And um, one of the bugs like takes a bite of something and is like, this tastes like crap. And the other one's like, let me try. This is crap. And then they like crack up. And I remember as a kid, obviously, <laughs> and as an adult, thinking that was incredibly funny. And um, I was talking to, you know, I mentioned earlier that I um, watched some of this movie with my... Uh, tried to watch it with my like younger cousins and when that came to that line I like turned to my parents and I was like oh do you remember this line this line is so funny and they were like yeah as a, they told me they were like yeah as a kid you loved this line and in Bugs Life there's a line where they go hey who ordered the poo poo platter and that was the other line I really liked which is just <laughs> to say that like a my humor has basically stayed at the same you know place for the last 30 years but also uh you know, the movies are pretty similar. <laughs> There's also that great line from the stoner bugs where they're like, do you ever think that we're maybe just like these insignificant little things, a part of like a much bigger universe? We don't even know how big the universe is. Love some love some <laughs> introspective uh, anthropomorphic animals or bugs in a movie. <laughs> Absolutely. I guess the only other thing I wanted to touch on was just what I did appreciate is of Z as a character. And it was like a small moment, but just how as the colony is waking up, realizing workers should own means of production and they're getting they're getting this sort of mythology of this guy z i felt and like we know as the viewer that the mythology is not adding up to the sort of person z is like z or the ant z is that ant that z is still it remains rather insignificant the whole time and kind of falls into z doesn't do much but just sort of like follow a girl and then there's a part where the general is realizing oh the whole everyone's yelling for z where's z where's z and uses that to sort of say, oh, no, we're we're at war because we're fighting for the colony. Like, I'm Z's nowhere to be seen. Like, I'm your guy. I thought there were two things there. One was just how it almost got to this idea of, like, you could see the myth of a leader that, like, the power is in the colony, not in the leadership. Like, leaders are mythology generally. The mythology is important, but, like, it's important solely for the storytelling. And I just thought that was an interesting thing that we as organizers could take from that of, like, oh, what can we learn from that? The importance of story, but also being willing and ready to let go of it. And how easily when you tell those kind of stories, they can be um, adopted by evil forces, like the general. Because when you – that a weakness – and we talk about this a lot on the podcast of just, like, a weakness in in the collective is needing a hero. And that actually mm. harmed them because they needed someone to replace that mythological figure that they had put on Z. And it harmed them as a group. And then the other is just that, like, the military complex of it all that you just see how easily, how the military was just, like, could easily tell people, like, make up wars. Just, like, make up shit. Like, no, we have to do this to protect you. And the queen was swayed. And just, like, how easy it is to just scare people into things that are not for their benefit but because of i mean in this case i guess there wasn't like a a financial component to the military industrial complex but we know that's there but like it was Mm -hmm. just it was just evil i guess in this world i i was reluctant to say this because it is not an original thought but you know i i I saw somewhere online where basically they said that um in bug's life it's an agricultural society where it's all about you know, farming, and that's kind of like what the character is innovating on is like this like way to farm more effectively, whatever. And that ants is more about a industrialized society, where um, oh yeah, you know, ants is like you know 
I, I don't want to like say this is my opinion, but you know, ants is this like post World War II society where they're uh, you know kind of trying to fight back against like the industrialization or whatever. Mm. And in Bugs Life, it's more about fighting against you know. I think Frankie mentioned this earlier. It's like about uh, the grasshoppers who are kind of these like colonialists. But at the end of A Bug's Life, the kind of like moral is like you know, they basically oust the colonialists in favor of the existing monarchy. But in Ants, you know, the end of the of Ants is they basically say, okay, how are we going to rebuild society? And mm. we mentioned this before, they don't really give us an answer if, if that means, oh, we're going to go back to like the queen being the top and there being this like warlord who's the second commander or whatever. But I just thought that was uh, interesting. Yeah. I just thought that was kind of an interesting way to maybe like look at this yeah. you know, as well. You know, look, totally. I, I, I think Bugs Life is still, you know, my preferred movie, but I think I'm <laughs> coming along to your, to both of your side that this is maybe a more actual radical film. Join the Bugs cause, Life. man. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Wake up. You got me. I'm hooked now. <laughs> All right, Max. Well, this is the point in the episode where we give out awards for this movie. We got three of them. The first one, this goes to the character with the best politics in the movie. I think Stallone. Stallone, Stallone and I, oh. I, I thought that he, at the very least, he did no wrong in my eyes. Mm -hmm. He like, you see like a big change in his character. At the end of the movie, he... He, like, sacrifices himself at the bottom of this, like, ant pyramid as the waters are rising. His character really felt like he, uh, I don't know, he was just constantly lifting all the other, other characters up. And I feel like he suffered the most. Like, we didn't talk about this, but at one point he's, like, basically, like, tortured by the other ants to, like, give up information or whatever. Yeah, they beat the shit out of him. Yeah, horrible. And they bring in Jennifer Lopez ant and start torturing her and you hear her <laughs> screaming. And then he's like, all right, I'll, I'll talk. I mean, she was great, too. I, I would also say... I'm very just. I just like don't want to give that award to Woody Allen Ant for a no. whole bunch of no. reasons. And if it's not Woody Allen Ant, then it, it, it's got to be uh, Stallone. Yeah, I'll go along I, with that. And then and then a second place for the one nameless ant who says the workers own the means of production. Yes, yes, Ant number three. Yeah. I also wouldn't give it to Woody Allen Ant just just mainly because of Z doesn't seem to have it. Z is confused. Like Z he sucks. He sucks. He and then he's not a good person. A he's good not a good person, not a good and the reluctant hero and just like so on this like me, 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 me. Okay, fine. I guess we if I can like get the girl. <laughs> right, exactly. Our next award goes to the character with the worst politics in this movie. I mean, it's gotta be General Mandible. It's gotta be yeah. the fascist who tries to who's like into eugenics and wants to create like an ethno state. Yeah, I would say it's dot yeah, Gene Hackman ant definitely is is the bad guy however hate to say it honorable mention to woody allen <laughs> like <laughs> yeah sure as even though he's the hero you know despite being the protagonist like the mm. politics are are really no bueno yeah i'm, I'm with you he's all he's purely mo motivated by self-interest and horniness in this movie and totally only decides to help everyone at the end because he's like i'm gonna drown <laughs> oh you know what i'm sorry we didn't talk about her much but sharon stone aunt also the princess also it kind of sucks too. Yeah. Oh, like very, very much. She, there's, there's a scene that, um, 
when they like go to the insectopia or thing where or they're trying to find it and Woody Allen aunt starts like walking away from her and she's like I order you to stop like uh, you're just a lowly worker and I'm the whatever and then there's the whole scene of the bar where she's like cosplaying as poor or whatever mm-hmm. you know I would say her mm-hmm. politics are like not good and other than like sticking up for her colony we don't really see her like change much like no. she's always kind of just annoying and, and they could have i mean she does have that great line where she's like labor what do you know about labor how would you feel if you were expected to give birth every 10 seconds for the rest of your life like there's something yes. they could have amplified there for her but again it was all male writers they somehow didn't get the memo that ants are matriarchal and <laughs> <laughs> like none of this shit would go down but but i did appreciate like unlike at least in titanic you got a little bit of how rose was being like a victim of her class and the, in this you right. just, they didn't really do much of that except for that line but i guess it is pretty terrifying to be like oh my god i'm born to just give birth every 10 seconds which wow. by the way sounds absolutely horrible <laughs> like when i heard that i i shuddered at the possibility <laughs> and just like stationary for your entire life because you got this dump truck ass full of babies that are just popping out kids when would you get anything done you can't. Just... Okay, one small ant fact that I have to get in here is not all ants, but some ants. And I do think this is, like, again, another, like, socialist, communist, just, like, in literally in their DNA functioning of ants. Not all ants, but some ants. Can any ant can become the queen ant. So, like, if a queen dies, your body, your DNA can change to become, like, to become what needs, what the colony needs to be served. Because it's... So it's not even like you're born. It's like they all, every every ant has the potential to become a queen ant. It's like the Dalai Lama. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> it's the exact same thing. Oh, that's where they got it from. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, actually, this is a question that I, I wrote down. So all the ants, they have the six legs. In the, in the context of this movie, they have four <laughs> legs and two arms because that's how they chose to animate it. Whatever. Um, But Christopher Walken Ant, the evil uh, whatever guy, Cutter, he can fly? Is that that canon? Like, I mean, is that, that's a thing? Yeah, Rivka, what what, what does your research tell us? I believe those ants would be female. You mean like you believe it like that's what your research told you or you just are I believe I recall reading it. (laughs) Okay, cool. You know what I'm saying? But I'm not going to stand by it, but I would (laughs) bet on it. I won't quote you. Yeah, I would bet okay. on it. But generally, they, I mean, this was like there were two women. It It's mind-blowing. The scientists must have been outraged. <laughs> it's crazy. It's not fucking true. We could probably find articles back from 1998, like an entomologist responds to ants. <laughs> well, you know that entomologist gets a whole solo number in our musical. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Ants with a Z, the musical. Ants with a Z, the musical, Uh, but it's really the making of ants. So it's really ants versus bug life. I think this idea has legs, and that's not a pun. I (laughs) I really do. All right, our last award goes to the supporting character that this movie should actually be about. And just staying on this theme, I'd say, like, any of the women ants. Like, J-Lo specifically, Azteca, would love a version of this movie where just she is the lead instead of a Woody Allen character. 100%. She she was giving giving it all and she like probably has like 
maybe 10 lines in the movie despite being introduced within the first like three minutes of the movie she she they really don't give her like any any legs to walk on um (laughs) i would say azteca j-lo or um danny glover barbados warrior ant he i just thought that was like he just got the rug pulled out from under him you know like they Mm -hmm. introduce him he has this cool like raspy voice and he just like you're just like oh man this this aunt has seen yeah. some shit and then they just take his head head him in this brutal way i don't know what mine's a little controversial i just i loved chip and muffy i loved my mm, wasps totally. and like a wasps story and maybe it's about them like i don't know right i just that's I also just... a brutal death too yeah another violent brutal death when yeah. muffy gets hit by the fly swatter yeah, and then the, we have to watch Chip grieve over her. <laughs> like it's oh man, it's it's actually I would say a testament to the directing of the movie, where it's like you don't see it happen. Yeah. It's just like you see, you hear it, and then you see him like holding her corpse in, in his hands. It's yeah, horrible, <laughs> really tragic. All right, well, Max, this was so much fun, dude. Thank you so much for being here. I could no, talk. Please, about, it's I a pleasure. Could talk about this movie and all these movies all day, but we got to let you go. So before we wrap up, we, we'd like to discuss with our guests uh, how we, as people, strive to practice our values, our anti-capitalist values, in our everyday life with all its complexities and contradictions. So, and we wanted to get back to this. Like, you can maybe use this as a springboard. Tell us how you, I guess, your your journey to Means TV and to, you know, be like being a socialist film producer. Yeah, so I um, I have that really unfortunate gene where I can't help but um, work really hard. <laughs> and <laughs> I wish I could... Yes, it sucks. I wish I could just be like, fuck this. Um, but I have a really hard time doing that. Um, so that makes working in, in you know, traditionalist, traditional capitalist uh, labor force just like very disheartening. So I worked for, you know, years in production and post-production, just like kind of busting my ass for um, other companies. And I worked for, you know, like the the Viacoms and uh, CNN, CNNs, MSNBCs of the world. Um, but my kind of longest string, and I regret to say, was at Vice News. And Vice News okay. was essentially um, a documentary factory where, you know, you're working on like a factory assembly line, but instead of making like t-shirts or little tchotchkes, you're making documentaries. And, you know, at first when I was working at Vice, I, I got hired and I was working nights, the night shift, which, um, as you can imagine, totally sucked. And I, to this day, still don't understand why, like, a show like that needs 24-hour-a-day 24 staffing. Was there, like, a one show that you were working on? Or can you yeah, not say I worked it? on... Um, I worked on, uh, it doesn't exist anymore, as with much advice, which doesn't exist anymore, but I worked on the uh, HBO long-form show. So it was, like, a, oh, yeah, yeah. not, like, the daily news thing. It was more, like, long-form mm-hmm. documentaries, which I would say is even more of a reason to not have 24-hour staffing, like... You just don't need that. But I worked there for about five, six years. And within the first couple days of me working nights, a buddy of mine kind of came up to my desk and was like, hey, let me tell you about what's really going on here. And he kind of just like explained like what was happening with their unionization efforts. And I basically had gotten hired just as all of Vice was trying to unionize. Mm -hmm. So that was the writers were unionizing. Uh, production was unionizing i was on post-production that was unionizing and um 
I don't know. I, I, it really uh, kind of clicked in my brain. Like I got a unionization card to sign up for. And then like from that point on, I kind of was like very uh, much embedded in sort of the unionization process at um, Vice and, you know, kind of helped me take some of my first steps in, in labor organizing. Because like the unionization process at Vice was just like totally fucked. Like they made us vote a bunch of times. We had to do like a walkout. And then once we actually like formed the union, it was just kind of a whole contentious contract process where it was like a big battle with management to actually ratify the contract. Mm -hmm. um, so that was just, that was kind of like, you know, again, it was like within the first couple weeks, I was kind of just in this process and I always felt just like at odds with, with management. And then uh, it was kind of like my last year at Vice when I got hooked up with um, Nick Hayes and Naomi Byrne, who are the founders of Means TV, who unfortunately couldn't be here today. They had originally gotten on my radar because they had made a series of these like pretty viral campaign ads for different candidates in like 2018, one of which was for AOC, which is probably the most popular one. Mm -hmm. And they had like this run of just making a bunch of different ads for a bunch of like left-leaning, left-wing-ish candidates in that cycle. And after they had made those campaign ads they were able to kind of like use the buzz around those to parlay it into um into creating means tv which was like this idea of this like worker-owned left-wing streaming service nick you know is in here tells the story much better so i'm kind of just like regurgitating what the story i've heard him tell a bunch of times but mm -hmm. um basically like, he had this idea to make this like working class sketch comedy show starring Brett Payne and Brian Quimby, who are formerly the hosts of this uh, podcast, Street Fight, Street Fight Radio. He had this, I this idea for this show, and he went out and he, put, he pitched it to a bunch of places, including HBO and Vice, and they kept turning him down. And then after a bunch of rejections, he was kind of like, fuck it. You know, if they don't see the vision, we're going to have to start our own network. And that was kind of mm. like the, the genesis of, um, wow. of Means TV. And, and I would say, like, once that happened, like, I remember this, you know, because I worked with a bunch of people in production at Vice, it's like as soon as we heard about Means TV, like everything started clicking for us. Like it was like all the buzz in my like little cubicle uh, bullpen kind of area <laughs> because because like not only where we did a lot of us feel like we were working, making like enough inauthentic content that didn't really like identify with our politics, and now there was like this what was you know proclaiming themselves to be like an anti-capitalist media company. But also, you know, this concept of worker-owned really, like, you know, set off all the flags in our head because, you know, like I said in the beginning, like, we all were working, like, incredibly hard and felt like we were seeing, like, nothing as a result mm. of it. Not only financially, like, it's one thing if you're working hard and you're not seeing, like, the financial, uh, you know, wealth of that labor, but we were even seeing worse than that, you know, like when we were all kind of working at Vice, it was like when every other week there was like some bullshit in the news and it was getting to the point where like we were like embarrassed to even talk about where we, we didn't want to tell anybody where we worked because it was just so mm. embarrassing. And it mm. felt like not only am I not getting paid what I deserve, I'm also feel like I'm constantly getting like, just like spit in my face, you know, like they, they don't even care about optics at that point. And that just you know, sucked. Um, so, so whenever fast forward, uh, you know, means TV is kind of beginning to launch and, um, Nick and Naomi are still doing campaign ads and a friend of mine who worked on some political campaigns in Rhode Island, 
basically had met Nick and Naomi. He hooked me up with them. And I kind of became like an early kind of like member contractor in Means TV. And I started at first making before the launch, like uh, some short documentaries and stuff. I eventually got hired to edit a feature length documentary, which became the first feature length film that Means TV ever produced it's called Yell Stomp This. You can watch it on Means TV right now. Wow, cool. And then from there, once Means TV actually launched, I got hired in within the first couple months as like, you know, it's Nick and Naomi. They were the two first employees and I was employee number three, the first kind of outside hire to come in and join the service. And since then it's been, it's been a roller coaster, I would say, mm-hmm. um, you know, as a employee of Means TV, you wear a bunch of different hats. You know, sometimes you're the sheriff, sometimes you're the bartender, sometimes you're the judge. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of can have its ups and downs. There's lots of peaks and valleys, but you know, one of the kind of biggest things I've learned is just like never even mind worker owned or anything like that, but running a business is really hard. Mm-hmm. And that has been one of the largest takeaways for, I would say, owning a business is awesome. <laughs> Being able to, you know, and, and I and I think um, a lot of our co-op members who are all, you know, owners in the company and don't have to be involved in the day-to-day operations, I think they would say the same. It's pretty awesome you get to kind of like look at the big picture and kind of give your yay or nays on different things and kind of just like see it from a little bit of a distance but owning a business is hard and it's you know it's tough to make hard decisions and be responsible for different people's livelihoods and you know it's a scary position to be in um but i wouldn't trade for anything you know i feel like i am kind of very much involved in building something that's going to outlive me and outlive you know the fucked up systems and society mm-hmm. that we live in so it's, it's so great. cool it's so great and i know i've heard so many people recently be like wait can we own the means of production in media and it's great the to answer have something is that, yes in the it's great to be like yes and there are people doing it and we can point them in this direction so i'm so happy to have you share about this wonderful group and get people to sign up and join means tv and yeah thank you Absolutely. I would say, you know, we're, um, you know, we launched in 2020 and there's been ups and there's been downs right now. I would say we're, we've hit a, a, a level where we're really trying to take it to the next step. Mm. Um, you know, we have a lot of our diehards, we have a lot of our day ones, but we really want to build this to something even, even much bigger. Um, you know, we have content that spans across tons of different genres we have animated shows we have comedy shows we have documentaries we have series originals we have a daily news show which you can catch tuesday through uh friday means morning news but the only way we can build is you know unlike the netflixes unlike the hbos unlike the you know whatevers we can only build in accordance with the means that we have there's no like hyper growth and that was actually i would say something i really had to learn that in the beginning mm. i would get frustrated where it's like you see all these companies consolidating you see all these companies like netflix being like we're investing in like you know six billion dollars worth of new content in 2023 and it's like well why can't we do that and the answer is is because we can only build with what our subscribers give us so you know i would say if that's a to be explicit you know that this is our call for subscribers we're looking cool. to grow and um if you go to uh, means.tv slash join, we have a trial going on right now and you can kind of check out the stuff we have to offer. Awesome. And Amazing. we will make sure to link to that awesome. in the episode description. 
Um, and Max, where can our audience find you on any socials or whatever? Or do you not want them finding you? Nope. I don't <laughs> want them to find me. Uh, I'd like to stay a little, you know, under the radar, but um, memes.tv slash join. You can, you can find me there. I would say that's, that is where my livelihood and work lives and awesome. dies is, you know, I, cool. I try to stay behind the scenes there. I, you know, try to like uplift other people's work and that's kind of my, my main goal with means TV. So cool. Well, Max, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for the work that you're doing with means TV. And thank you for choosing this movie for us to watch. And I thank think you. I'm, I've come over to team ants. So yes, welcome. <laughs> the water's warm. Thank you all so much for listening and make sure to follow us on Instagram and TikTok. And if you want to support the show and get access to our premium episodes, which are pretty fun, you can go to mvcpod.com to find all of that info. For next week's movie, we'll be watching the 1939 classic movie musical, The Wizard of Oz. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.